I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If I'd told you two days ago that by tonight, as I record this, the Prime Minister would be holed up in Downing Street, refusing to leave while his loyal home secretary, Priti Patel, demands he goes, that the Chancellor and Health Secretary would quit spectacularly and Michael Gove would be sacked, well, I'm not sure any of it would have seemed credible. But then, this has been one of the most extraordinary days in British politics. And here's how it all began. On Tuesday evening... Just after six o'clock, normal news programmes across the country were interrupted by a shocking announcement. That was Boris Johnson speaking in the last few minutes. Now let's talk to Henry Zeffman, Associate Political Editor at The Times. Henry, what did you make of that? John, can I bring you some breaking news rather than tell you about that? Sajid Javid has just tweeted his resignation as Health Secretary. I'm reading this to you right now. He says, the tone you set as a leader and the values you represent reflect on your colleagues, your party, and ultimately the country. Sadly, in the current circumstances, the public are concluding uh, that we are neither competent nor acting in the national interest. Tajid Javin making an open challenge, significantly increasing the chances that Boris Johnson faces some kind of challenge internal in the Conservative Party over the coming hours and weeks. Boris Johnson will be wondering what happens next. And that was just the start. Today tried to defend... What? I'm terribly sorry, we have to stop now. Rishi Sunak has resigned. The Chancellor has resigned. I think Rishi Sunak has just resigned. I'm just getting this through on my phone. If you have just tuned in, the news is that Boris Johnson's government is collapsing tonight very, very fast. Several more resignations. Critics say it is now a case of when, rather than if, Mr Johnson himself will be forced out. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Boris Johnson on the brink. As the sun came up on Wednesday morning, people in number 10 were still making sense of the night before. How did you sleep last night? Uh, Rather better, I suspect, than the man who lives here, because it has been a whirlwind 24 hours for the Prime Minister. This morning he's in there fighting again for his political survival. 
It's 11 o'clock. I'm Matt Shirley. This is Times Radio. Thank you for still having confidence in me, if not in everyone else. So that's a, uh, as we stand. So Sajid Javid, Rishi Sunak, Bimaf Alami, Jonathan Gullis, Saki Barty, Nicola Richards, Virginia Crosby, Theo Clark, Alex Chalk, Laura Trott, Will Quince, Robin Walker, John Glenn, Felicity Buchan, Andrew Morrison, Victoria Atkins and Simon Fell, all members of the government or advisors or jobs given by uh, Boris Johnson have always signed. I'm Caroline Wheeler. I'm the political editor of the Sunday Times. And I'm speaking to you from Portcullis House, which is the sort of ancillary building to the House of Commons where all the members of staff and MPs have their offices. I'm desperately trying to get some coffee before PMQs, but I'm failing miserably. (laughs) (laughs) What a day. And it looks, from the rumour I've just heard, it's going to get much more interesting. You're queuing for coffee at the moment. Does it look quite lively? It does. There's a lot of people here. Uh, everybody's very sort of anxious about when this is all going to come to an end, I think. And it's uh, really relying on the lobby, I think, on, on the whole to inform them about what's going to happen next. It's been a remarkable 24 hours already. What's the mood like in Westminster today? Nobody really knows what to do with themselves because, you know, we feel like we're in a kind of moment of momentum and change. And so people are just anxiously anticipating what potentially might come next. PMQ is always a key moment, but I think this PMQs will probably be the most hotly anticipated that we've ever really seen. Chris Pincher, Deputy Chief Whip, resigned from government last night in disgrace. On Wednesday night, he had been here, the Carlton Club, where he allegedly groped two men. And Caroline, just tell us a bit about the Pincher story. I mean, was this the story you thought would be the one that would cause so much trouble for Boris Johnson's government? I think what we've been saying for a time now is that it's just been a cumulative thing. The the government just hasn't been free of scandal for for very many days or even weeks. But no, um, didn't really foresee the Chris Pincher story causing this level of fallout. Chris Pincher, of course, was the former Deputy Chief Whip who resigned last week after um, allegations of sexual misconduct. I knew that people were very cross about it. And it was something, as a newspaper, that we had been aware of these allegations for some time and had been pursuing. And, you know, something that we had been very keen to expose. But these stories are notoriously difficult to break. But, um, But when it did happen, which was almost by accident, actually, you know, people witnessed him in real time doing something that was considered to be sexual misconduct and inappropriate. The kind of floodgates opened and really took the story right up to the heart of government and to the prime minister's door in terms of pointing the finger at him and saying, you were aware of this, you knew what was happening. This individual was put in a very particular job, which has a remit in party discipline. And that was the thing that people were so cross about, that this individual had been brought in to deal with some of the sex pests that we'd been hearing about. So I think that's that's really where the kind of anger comes from. And can I just talk us through that? Because Tuesday evening, when the spate of resignations started, I think a lot of people were slightly caught off guard. Tell us about the lead up to that moment. How did we get there? Well, it's interesting. Certainly the atmosphere was getting much more febrile during the course of the day, which really started in the morning when Simon MacDonald, who was the former permanent secretary of the Foreign Office, dropped that letter on Twitter. As I say in my letter, a group of colleagues came to see me 
they uh, laid out their case that um, Mr. Pincher had behaved inappropriately. The complaint was upheld. Permanent secretaries are civil servants. They're the most senior civil servants. Um, you know, they don't see it their role to be public facing. They certainly don't do media interviews very often. In fact, I'm struggling to remember a, a time when I've seen other people in his position do those kind of interviews. It only ever happens when there's been a very serious problem. There's no question in your mind that Mr Johnson had been told in person about what happened at the Foreign Office. Correct. That effectively blew a hole in the argument that the Prime Minister and his aides had been making, that he had been unaware of some of the allegations of sexual misconduct against Chris Pincher. And a number of ministers had been sent out onto the airwaves to defend the Prime Minister's position. This was one minister, Will Quince, doing just that on Monday morning. I asked Number 10, both clearly and firmly, for answers on this. And I have been given a categorical assurance that the Prime Minister was not aware of, of uh, any specific allegation or complaint. Subsequently, Will Quince resigned. Huge ambition to make T-levels as famous as A-levels. Mr Zahawi, forgive me interrupting you. Yes. But as D- you delivery, were saying delivery, that sentence, delivery. Yes. the man who came on this programme on Monday morning to defend the Prime Minister has just resigned. Tell me about Tuesday evening. Is it true that you shouted, Rishi's gone across the office? Yes. <laughs> In fact, we were we were all shouting at each other. And at one point, one of my colleagues then shouted, Dory's has gone, which was a slightly more surprising <laughs> holler uh, from the office. And of course, not true. No, that, that, that would be the onset of the apocalypse. Absolutely. <laughs> and so it was, it was quite something to be sort of stood alongside the editor and uh, Gabriel Pogren, our Whitehall editor, and for us to be sort of watching it all fall out. What was your reaction? Well, uh, suddenly, like, oh, gosh, this is it. This must be the end. You know, it's very, very unusual to see a chancellor go. And, of course, this is the second chancellor that has resigned under Boris Johnson. And I think there was just a sense of momentum of, you know, is the whole cabinet now going to resign? I mean, I pretty much could see as soon as we heard that Sajid Javid was going to go, it was fairly obvious to me that Rishi Sunak would be next, although we've subsequently been told they didn't speak to each other. Why did you think if, if Sajid Javid had gone that Rishi would be next? Because I think if you harbour any sort of leadership potential, the message that's been coming from the backbenchers loud and clear has been that anybody that effectively condones the Prime Minister's behaviour, that they almost become sullied and tarnished, which was why it was surprising, I think, in some ways, that Nadim Zahawi didn't resign. What do you think the thinking is behind what Nadim Zahawi's done? And also people like Liz Truss who haven't quit? Well, I think if you think about Nadim Zahawi first, I mean, he's now the Chancellor of the Exchequer. It's it's really the second most powerful job in government. Uh, it does mark him out now as being sort of in that top echelon, which may serve him well if he latterly goes for a leadership bid. I mean, it will it will be a real test for him because I think some people will say, well, you know, you didn't do your part in bringing down the government. You know, there's been a lot of anger for several weeks that the cabinet mm. have failed to act. But at the same time, you know, you have to think about who his support base might be. And he may not just be uh, wanting to bring the rebels on side. There may still be some Boris loyalists that he would want to hoover up um, as part of his leadership campaign. So those are the kind of calculations that he and indeed Liz Truss will be making vis-a-vis staying put. Yeah, although Rishi Sunak has obviously given up a very big job in order to, to make a point. 
Do you think they'll be able to keep their heads down for long? Is this a sustainable policy? The people who've stayed, um, I think it's going to become increasingly difficult. I think there is just a feeling uh, amongst the backbenchers that basically uh, the Prime Minister has now, does, does not no longer command a majority in the House of Commons. And I've been told for some time now that the letters are already in for that vote of no confidence in anticipation of the rule changes. So, so they've got enough letters to be able to trigger a vote That now. is what I understand. And in terms of his loyalists, and it's probably unfair to ask, but what, what would it take for Nadine Doris or, or Jacob Rees-Mogg to, to quit, to turn their backs on Boris? I can't imagine that they ever will. <laughs> they will be the ones that go down with the sinking ship. I mean, you have to think about it from their perspective. I mean, these are individuals that I, I can't imagine would be accommodated in many people's cabinet, if anybody else's cabinet. So these are people that have reached the highest echelons of government and, and will never likely see that again. So this is their heyday. They're going to hold on to it a bit like Boris Johnson with, with cloying fingernails until the ship sinks, basically. They'll be there uh, to the bitter end. And Caroline, I know you've got to go off to PMQs now, but it's, it's going to be, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm talking to you in the middle of what's going to be an extraordinary 24 hours. Just tell us what's coming up later today. Well, we've got PMQs now. I mean, though it was interesting. I bumped into a minister just as I was coming up the stairs to Port Cullis House. And he said, even my constituents are asking if he's going to resign at PMQs. And of course, I told them he's not. I mean, that's the issue with this prime minister. Nobody ever expects him uh, to resign. And uh, I mean, a lot of us have been talking about the kind of death of shame. Um, I mean, he, he, there is nothing, I think, that would force this prime minister to quit. If you think about it, I mean, He's been married three times, but none of his, uh, he's never left any of his wives. They've all left him. And I think that's kind of what's going to happen with this government. We may now be reaching that tipping point where, where he really can't go on now. And uh, Caroline, I really do have to let you go to, to PMQs, but we've just, we've just heard about another resignation. Joe jo Churchill goes as health minister. Again, not a surprise. Another name that's been on our list for some time. I'm sort of sitting here playing ministerial bingo. There are still a number of people who are yet to go. So it's interesting to know whether they're, they are now coordinating them so that there is a kind of trickle that continues over the course of the day as we build up to that 1922 committee later this evening. Well, Caroline, I'll let you go off to PMQ okay. and we'll speak again no worries. a little speak bit later. To you later. Bye. We now start with questions, Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today is a big day as we implement the biggest tax cut. As we implement the biggest tax cut for a decade. This morning, Mr. Speaker, I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition, in addition to my duties in this house, I, sh I expect I shall have further such meetings later today. I think that's one of the major landmark PMQs of my adult lifetime. And he'd know. That's Tim Shipman, avid PMQs watcher and chief political commentator for the Sunday Times. It was astonishing, partly for what was said and partly for what wasn't said and partly for the looks on the faces of the Conservative MPs behind the Prime Minister the faces of the cabinet sitting on the front bench alongside him who looked like they wanted to be anywhere else, for the faces that were not sitting alongside him. Where was Michael Gove? Nowhere to be seen. Apparently he's been spotted on his mobile phone outside the House oh, of Commons. Wow. 
wasn't sitting there supporting the Prime Minister. I don't think that's insignificant. In terms of what was said, Keir Starmer did a decent job of putting Johnson on the spot. He prosecuted a sort of forensic case about Johnson employing Chris Pincher. That was what you'd expect from Starmer, a sort of precise and legalistic case. But he also had some good lines. Mr Speaker, isn't this the first recorded case of the sinking ships fleeing the rat? And as for those who are left, only in office, because no one else is prepared to debase themselves any longer, the charge of the lightweight brigade. Well, Mr Speaker, uh, it's when, it's exactly when, when times are tough and when the country faces pressures on uh, the economy uh, and pressures on their budgets, Mr Speaker, and when we had the biggest war in Europe for 80 years, Mr Speaker, uh, that is when... That is exactly I mean, with Keir Starmer, you know, he does often get criticised for not being inspiring enough at the dispatch box, but charge of the lightweight brigade thought was rather good. Yeah, that was excellent. A lot of Labour aides messaging people claiming credit for all these lines this morning. <laughs> so I was told to look out for the uh, the rats line. Someone said, we've got a good line on rats and the sinking ship. So yeah, they knew it was a big moment. They knew they wanted to nail it. And actually, for once, they I think they probably did. And you saw the astonishing spectacle of Conservative MPs standing up and calling for him to resign during Prime Minister's questions. Does the Prime Minister think there are any circumstances in which he should resign? <laughs> Frankly, Mr Speaker, the job of a Prime Minister in difficult circumstances when he's been handed a colossal mandate is to keep going, and that's what I'm going to do. I may be wrong, but I don't remember that ever happening to Margaret Thatcher or even really to Theresa May in quite those terms. The Prime Minister constantly tries to deflect from the issue always tries to blame other people for mistakes and that at least nothing um, left for him to do other than to take responsibility and resign. And Gary Sandbrook, I mean, he isn't known to be critical or hasn't been in the past. No, he was part of that group of new MPs who were having their doubts about the Prime Minister, the so-called pork pie plotters a few months ago, but that never really amounted to anything. And, you know, this is the first time he's broken cover in quite this way. And then, of course, we had a statement from Sajid Javid, who resigned as health secretary. Treading the tightrope between loyalty and integrity has become impossible in recent months. And, Mr Speaker, I will never risk losing my integrity. There will be people who will be comparing the calm way he dissected the Prime Minister's behaviour to that of Geoffrey Howe, who famously did for Margaret Thatcher. Howe famously said, you know, it was like going out to bat as a cricketer when your bat had been broken before you got out there by the Prime Minister. And Javid didn't have a line quite as memorable as that, but he did talk about a team only being as good as its captain. I also believe a team is as good as its team captain and that a captain is as good as his or her team. So loyalty must go both ways. The events of recent months have made it increasingly difficult to be in that team. It's not fair on ministerial colleagues to go out every morning defending lines that don't stand up and don't hold up. He contrasted himself with Boris Johnson in several ways that make you think that wasn't just about getting rid of Boris Johnson. So it is incumbent on all of us to set high standards for ourselves and to take action when they are not met by others. I got into politics to do something 
not to be somebody. It was also about launching another Sajid Javid leadership bid. Really? Do you think that's now in the offing? I think by resigning in the way that he has and making a speech like that, that that will raise him back into discussion for that job. Being a good father, a husband, a son and a citizen is good enough for me. And if I can continue to contribute to public life and my party from the back benches, it will be a privilege to do so. And what was the response like when he made his speech? You can always tell when Parliament is febrile, firstly when it's very, very, very loud, but the more impressive moments are generally when it's very, very, very quiet and people listened, his colleagues sat there nodding sadly at a lot of what he said. There were murmurs of approval for certain things, but it wasn't the sort of occasion where everybody's cheering and clapping, but it was a a telling contribution and one that makes Boris Johnson's prospects even bleaker. I think most of us assume he will continue to try to fight on because that's his way, but the historian in him will know that that was one of the bleakest moments for a Prime Minister in the Chamber of the House of Commons for a very, very long time indeed. Wow. And Tim, you are an expert on these things. Do you think we are reaching a tipping point now? You know, as we're we're speaking, it's it's one o'clock and there have been 18 resignations and and countless people, you know, either going on Twitter or writing letters or standing up at PMQs to say that, they, that the Prime Minister has lost their confidence. It's very hard to tell with Boris Johnson what it will take to make him proactively decide that the game is up. He has always said privately that, you know, people would have to drag him out of there with tank battalions. And when someone asked him yesterday whether he was planning to give up, he used a fairly brief epithet um, to signal that he wasn't planning to do so. But we're reaching the point now where it will be impossible to find ministers to fill those posts that people are vacating. If he can't fill those posts, the government can't function. And if the government can't function, then other members of the cabinet will surely take the view that they will go or the prime minister must go. So... I think most people feel that um, it is possible for them to force him out against his will by the end of next week, but it may just be that a view is taken before that. Before that, so end of next week as as the latest? That's what the people I'm speaking to think he'll be gone by the end of next week, but think it is possible that if no one agrees to serve in his government and more people keep continuing to resign, that other members of the cabinet will conclude that this is not tenable, you know. These are very, very difficult times for Boris Johnson. Coming up, what next? But first, a quick word from a colleague. I'm Sabah Meddings, Chief Business Correspondent at the Sunday Times. My job gets me face to face with some of the UK's biggest employers allows me to break the stories that matter from the world of business and explain why it matters to you. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. After a fiery PMQs, the Prime Minister headed to another interrogation the Commons Liaison Committee. It's three o'clock. This is Mariella Frostrup and you're listening to Times Radio. Very shortly, we're going to be heading across to the Liaison Committee where the chairs of the different parliamentary scrutiny committees will be grilling the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister's had 27 resignations in the last 24 hours. Order, order, and welcome Prime Minister to this session of the Liaison Committee. Prime Minister, it was, it is our intention uh, to start with the great issues facing the nation. In a bizarre scene, the committee spent the best part of an hour discussing all manner of policy questions, while the resignations continued to flood in. But in the second half, it turned to matters of integrity. And as the committee began to wrap up, the news of the day seeped into the meeting itself. It's, it's being reported that there's a delegation of your cabinet colleagues waiting in Downing Street, including the Chief Whip, the Transport Secretary and your new Chancellor, waiting to tell you when you finish here today that it's time for you to go. How will you respond to that? Uh, uh, Darren, Darren you're, you're asking me to comment uh, on... This conversation uh, will happen in a few minutes, Prime Minister. You say, uh, but I, I, I'm not going to give a, a running commentary on political events. Uh, we're going to get on with the government of the country. By six o'clock, Boris Johnson had suffered the highest number of ministerial resignations in 24 hours in British political history. One in five MPs on the government payroll had resigned. This is Times Radio. Thank you, Aisha. Good evening. A group of cabinet ministers is expected to meet the Prime Minister tonight to tell him to resign. As the PM hunkered down in Downing Street, the Sunday Times political editor, Caroline Wheeler, jumped into a cab on her way to meet a minister and gave us a call. It's just unbelievable. I spoke to one of his closest allies about 10 minutes ago who said that he told him before PMQs that the writing was on the wall and he needed to go and that there would only be 60 MPs that would support him in a vote of no confidence, which is absolutely catastrophic. Wow. Caroline, when we last spoke... PMQs was just about to start. We had about 18 resignations. Yeah. That number has 
grown all through the day. Just talk us through what's been happening. So I think as we speak now, there was in excess of 30 resignations that had happened. And that's not including the number of MPs who don't have current positions that they could resign which already eats significantly into his 80-seat majority, which had already been reduced quite substantially by several of the by-election results. So he was already in quite a perilous position as he went into PMQs, and there have been a trickle of resignations sort of every couple of minutes, every couple of hours ever since. There's been rumours that the Cabinet are now meeting at Downing Street. In fact, I'm just passing Downing Street as we speak, which is why you can possibly hear the noise in the background. There's a bit of a a protest going on. I'm just, in fact, looking at, as we speak at a large number of police officers and members of the public gathered outside Downing Street. So there is a sense that momentum is building here in terms of what he might be preparing to do. And indeed, a big crowd of people on the other side of the road as well. And my understanding is that members of the cabinet have gathered and that he is unaware or he was unaware as he left that liaison committee that they were going to meet him at Downing Street to effectively tell him that it was time to go. It does now feel very much like the end is nigh. and I mean, that's remarkable. It is. And and really what people are talking about now is whether he uh, comes to the the steps of Downing Street this evening or whether he waits until tomorrow morning. But there is definitely a kind of real sense now that this is is the final throw for the Prime Minister. And I I can't really see at this point very much that could potentially save him and, and change the dice. Caroline, I mean, this is historic. We've never seen anything like this before. We've never seen 38 resignations in the course of 24 hours. For the people you've been speaking to who are talking to the Prime Minister, who are going to him, like that delegation who's in there now, did they tell you how he was responding? I mean, was he hearing the message or is he still defiant? Well, the people that I spoke to had spoken to him prior to the Liaison Committee and certainly most of them prior to PMQs. And apparently he still had some fight in him then and was still pretty much determined to carry on. But given he's been in kind of meetings since noon, I think there's been relatively little opportunity for people to talk to him and to get a real sense of where he is. I mean, it's intriguing that the 1922 committee, which met this evening, has decided not to change the rules. And I think that that is indicative of the fact that they think that that will be destabilising to any future leadership. I mean, talk us through that, because when we spoke earlier, you know, you mentioned there was going to be this meeting of the 1922 committee. We thought they'd be changing the rules today and there would be a vote of no confidence, you know, either tomorrow or even tonight. Why did they sort of fail to to go through with that? I think there's always been a sense that that's really the last throw of the dice in that if you start doing that, it would destabilise future leaderships in that it would basically mean that any prime minister, any leader of the Conservative Party would be at the whim of the party and would face kind of indeterminate numbers of votes of no confidence, which could be extremely destabilising. But I think that there's no no question at the moment that if he doesn't fall on his sword, then they will change those rules and Mm. there will be another vote of no confidence. But I think at the moment they are very much hoping that that cabinet push and those conversations that he's having with his closest and most senior advisers will actually bear fruit. I mean, people were briefing earlier, you know, that let alone being afraid of there being a vote of no confidence and, and quitting, that even if there was one, and even if he lost a vote of no confidence, he might still try and hang on. 
I think that speaks to the man. I mean, I think that's been the kind of sense that we've had from him all along was that he wasn't going to go easily. I mean, I think it would be constitutionally very difficult for him to cling on post a successful vote of no confidence. I mean, my understanding is that once the Prime Minister has lost his command of a majority, then very much it's over and you don't really want to test them. It's extremely humiliating for any Prime Minister. And as you said yourself, this is unprecedented in terms of the fact that more more often, I can't really think of a kind of historical comparison, it, it doesn't ever usually reach this stage. So it, it, it is a, a kind of really historic moment. I mean, we know that Sir Graham Brady is one of the people in number 10 at the moment. There's a queue of them, clearly, but he's presumably there to make that point that they haven't changed the rules, but if the Prime Minister doesn't go, they will. There's also this delegation of Cabinet Ministers in there, telling him it's time. I mean, the makeup of that delegation is quite surprising. Well, it's extraordinary, really. I mean, we're told that one of the delegation is the new Chancellor, Nadim Zahawi, who was only appointed less than 24 hours ago and decided to take that vote of patronage from Boris Johnson and is now part of that delegation telling him that his time is up. We're also told that it includes the new Education Secretary, who similarly has only been in post for less than 24 hours, Michelle Donnellan, that she is there too. And this is basically one of her first acts as a cabinet minister is to tell the prime minister to pack his bag. So, I mean, again, you know, extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary scenes. And uh, Caroline, what what have you been hearing from sources all day? I mean, are are, are there things you know that the rest of us don't? (laughs) Well, there's always things that we know that other people don't. Um, You know, I think lots of the news has already leaked that we know that Michael Gove, who, of course was instrumental in him not standing in that race when David Cameron resigned back in 2016, has has been wobbling and has been uh, amongst those uh, cabinet ministers who's been most vocal in saying the time is up. I think that's quite significant. We're pretty much in the death throes now of this leadership and either he goes voluntarily or there is another vote of no confidence and he's forced from office. I think it's absolutely fair to say that this Prime Minister has pushed this further than any other in terms of the scale of the backlash and uh, he'll make the history books for that. What happens if Boris Johnson just refuses to leave? I think his instinct is to stay on. Refusing to go, he's saying, I have a mandate and I'm going to stay in power. I think he would like to battle it out when the cabinet ministers went in, including loyalists, to tell the prime minister, including people like Priti Patel, the game's up, prime minister, you've got to go. He sent them away and said, no, I am not quitting. Earlier today, we understand Michael Gove told Boris Johnson he thought his time was up. Breaking news, Boris Johnson has sacked Michael Gove. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson is expected to outline a new economic plan tomorrow alongside newly appointed Chancellor Nadeem Zahawi. Boris Johnson's parliamentary private secretary has told a reporter PM is in a buoyant mood and will fight on. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, The Sunday Times political editor, Caroline Wheeler, and chief political commentator, Tim Shipman. 
You won't want to miss all their inside gossip and analysis this weekend. You'll find that in the print edition of The Sunday Times or at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producers today were James Shield, Taryn Siegel and Oliver Adamson. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. I'll see you tomorrow for part three of Last Man Standing with a war correspondent, Anthony Lloyd. You can find the previous episodes by searching for Last Man Standing in your podcast app. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.